Live and local. Let's go down to life, man. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Oh, you You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone. Under the Dome with CD after a week off. I'm back inside the beautiful, dare I say, palatial first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. And hopefully you're having a fantastic Louisiana Saturday morning. How are you doing so? And appreciate you listening in however you're doing so, be it through that tower of power that is 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh yeah! Or better yet, through that FM, excuse me, 103.7thegame.com, the free mobile app in your favorite smart speaker. And we got two full hours and I think there's so much more we need to get into than I think we can have in the course of 120 minutes. And we got a lot to cover. There's good news and bad news. The bad news is we're not going to get to it all right here, right now. But the good news is, is I got the time. Oh, you're damn right. We got the time. And we got the number for you. If you want to join in on the conversation, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. Great to be back with you. I filled in a couple times in that interim over on Crunch Time with David Grubb, but trust me, there's still plenty of bullets left in the proverbial chamber for me to kind of give you and pontificate over the course of these next two hours. And let's waste no more time and get down to brass tacks of what's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning with your Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. You can't help but to look back at 2016 and compare this LSU team to that team in 2016 for a lot of reasons. And one of the big questions I'm sure everybody's been thinking about going into this ball game against Auburn is can Ed Ogeron survive through the season? The short answer for me personally, you can disagree on 337-706-0111. It's yes. I think he'll survive this season till we get to after the AM game. But of course, this is a Saturday sports sermon, so let's expound on that and why I think that. Because I've been the biggest attractor of Coach O after the national championship game because he has seemingly gone the route of Larry Coker and Gene Chizik and won a championship. In the case of Gene Chizik, won it off of the back of a transfer quarterback and the other great talent that surrounded him. In the case of Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, the list goes on and on. And the 5-5 five and five season from 2020 wasn't a great look. 
I think any other team, any other year, it would have been kind of talked down because of everything that was going on with COVID and whatnot. But I think you add that with the Title IX investigation that was going on as well during the offseason, that played a huge role in everything. Now, that dark cloud has started to uh, dissipate. It's not gone away completely, but I feel like it's just hovering around waiting to show up again, waiting to rear its ugly head, potentially. Now, what happens next is anybody's guess. But right now, it looks like that won't play as much of a role as maybe we thought it would. But I think the fact that if LSU doesn't play to their standard, seriously, 5-5, five and five, it had been a long time since that had happened. 2014, about seven years ago, was the last time LSU was 500 or below in SEC play. Seriously. And he started to get on less miles after they had that time when they went four and four. Not a great look. And it stayed there for a good while until the proverbial guillotine was pulled after an Auburn loss six years ago. And you know, you compare these 2016 and 2021 seasons, it's a testament to the old saying. Those who don't learn from the history are kind of doomed to repeat it. Five years ago, LSU got outclassed on the road against Wisconsin when the two teams played at Lambeau Field. Five years later, Ed Ogeron played UCLA, a team that on paper they should have beaten and trounced like nobody else, beaten them like a drum. But embarrassing fashion at the Rose Bowl, they got beat by the Bruins. And on paper, it didn't look like the matchup was a little bit better than maybe what we thought. But then you have UCLA go and lose to Fresno State, and that kind of conversation went away. They both ride the ship against an FCS team. In the case of LSU this year, they played Central Michigan as well, and they whipped up on the Chippewas, as they should have. And people were so nervous about that game, I couldn't be any less nervous about that contest a couple weeks ago. As was happening, I was like, okay, this is already firmly in control. Let's move on. And then they walked away from a Mississippi State game with a win that, honestly, they might not have taken away for a lot of reasons. LSU got lucky in both instances this year more than others because they absolutely were looking like the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl, blowing a pretty decent-sized lead late in that ball game. It wasn't easy either way in 2016 or in 2021. Now, here's where the big differences lie in my mind. The first one is without a doubt who the guy in charge is. The head honcho is way different. Joe Oliva isn't the athletic director at LSU, and that was a big reason why I think Les Miles was even the head coach in 2016 after allowing him to remain as head coach after the all-too-public courting of one Jimbo Fisher failed miserably. And apparently seeing a Texas A&M win in 2015 was enough for Miles to keep his gig. I still don't understand all that stuff. But when it comes to Scott Woodward, I don't think we see him fire at Ogeron in the middle of a season because that just doesn't seem to be his M.O. Because he probably could have done the same thing to Nicky Fargus before saying, hey, you know, here's this other job. Go ahead and take that and move on and we'll, we'll consider a mutual parting of ways instead of outright firing you. Ed Ogeron, on the other hand, I think is a different conversation. I think we see Ed Ogeron be shown the door 
after the A&M game in November, if things don't turn around and we don't see this team hit that 9-3, and 10-2 kind of thing. Again, you've heard me talk about it all offseason. The floor is 8-4. and four. I hate to keep repeating myself, but I think it's factual. That's where the floor is for this program. They hit below that. I think Ed Ogeron is either fired or he's on the hottest of hot seats heading into 2022. And for me, I think you look at Scott Woodward, he isn't going to do this unless there's, especially against the lost game against Auburn. Because if they lose this game, it is what it is, I think. Now, mind you, Auburn's been a little bit of a dumpster fire. Lost to, dump, to Penn State, excuse me. Because they had to be the smartest man in the room and try and be Pete Carroll. And then they had to have TJ Finley bail the program out against Georgia State like he was the U.S. government bailing out banks in 2008. The Bayou Bengals are going to need a lot of help from the run game. That's been largely a milk, largely been on a milk carton through four games compared to what we've seen be the gold standard at LSU. The conversation has always been for LSU's run game to lead the way. With John Emery Jr. out for the year, you're going to have to rely on guys like Ty Davis Price and Corey Kiner, maybe even Trey Bradford whenever he decides to be ready to go and be eligible and be ready to play. Who knows how that's going to go. But four games into the season, LSU's run game is atrocious, and you're going up against one of the top 50 run defenses in the league. I was looking at the stats the other day. They allow just under 100 yards per game, and LSU's only running about 80. That's not a great sign for what's to come. You're going to have to see Max Johnson have to rally this team to a win have to throw a lot to Jack Besh in that contest and be able to try and keep Tank Bigsby in check. He's been a phenomenal player for that Auburn program for a while. And this is going to be the biggest key is what happens with the run game. And LSU is going to need to beat the Eagles, the War Eagles slash Plainsman late tonight because of the run game. What happens between the battle between the trenches? It is a cliche as all cliche statement, especially when you look at the state of college football in the SEC. It's always been about who wins in the battle between the trenches. What happens there? For me personally, I think LSU does win, but it's going to be a very close ball game. And the biggest thing is it's for this game, I think obviously is controlling the run game, but I think it's also figuring out who is the guy that you're going to be up against. Because all week you're prepping for two quarterbacks. You're preparing for the devil you know in T.J. Finley and the devil you kind of don't. You've played him before, but Bo Nix is very much Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. He'll have like, he had a great freshman year, but after that he's regressed in my mind slowly but surely. But to kind of wrap this all up in a nice little bow when it comes to the conversation about Ed Ogeron's future at LSU, I think unless LSU completely lays an egg, I mean lose to Auburn, Lose to Kentucky, lose bad to Alabama, lose to Florida, lose to Ole Miss, lose to AM. If you wind up losing out the rest of the way to your schedule, I think Ed Ogeron sticks around for the rest of the season. Again, if he loses like 50 to nothing to Alabama at home, oh, excuse me, on the road, 
in Tuscaloosa and you lose to Arkansas, like if the only win you have in the foreseeable future is ULM, I wouldn't be surprised if Ed Ogeron is indeed let go. But I just don't see that happening. Just doesn't seem like the way that LSU likes to do things. That said, we talk about Scott Woodward. He moves fast. Don't be surprised if he gets fired in terms of Ed Ogeron. Woodward isn't already sending out feelers well before the word comes out because I guarantee you he's going to have somebody probably within a week and a half to two weeks as their future starting it's a new head coach if at the end of the season Ed Ogeron does indeed get fired. Again, this is just coming from my viewpoint, my personal opinion. But we're going to take a quick timeout. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Going to take a quick timeout. Lance Dow of the Auburn Wire is going to be joining us at 10.30 to kind of go into detail about what's going on with those Tigers slash War Eagles slash Plainsmen. And we got Kyle Mosley. We usually have Ross Jackson on. When I filled in for David Grubb, had him on on Wednesday. So we're going to go ahead and give him the week off, but we're still going to get some Saints talk in at 11.30. But if you want to call up, 337-706-0111. Once again, you're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Who is the world-famous CD really? Whatever you think when you think sports radio, he's the exact opposite. Yes, I will do the opposite. Let's get back to Under the Dome with CD before he starts acting like Costanza. George is getting upset! On 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Hopefully you have a great Saturday. We got Kyle, excuse me, not Kyle T. Mosley. We got Lance Dow coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself on the Saturday. Let's go ahead and get into what happened last night in the world of high school football. And trust me, there's a lot of storylines coming away from last night. And we'll try and break them all down right now. I think obviously first things first, let's go to 3-5-A. And the Southside Sharks took a one on the chin last night with Acadiana winning 35-10. Barb beat New Iberia 28-26. Some nail biters over in 3-5-A. You also had Como beat Sam Houston. Spartans get a big 44-23 win over Sam Houston. Sulphur ekes out a win over the Lafayette High Mighty Lions 24-21. Nailbiter there, I believe it was like a last-minute touchdown, secured the win because they were down 21-17 with about, like I think, three, four minutes left, and then they were able to come away with the victory. And then you have Church Point. They beat Eunice 35 to nothing. St. Louis Catholic beats LaGrange 30-6. Iota beating North Vermillion and hanging on for dear life with a 
28-24 win over North Vermillion. Iota getting it done. Rain defeating Crowley 47-7. Booker T. Washington gets a win over Washington. Marion 21-8. Carecrow beating St. Martinville 45-12. Northside beats Peabody 23-22. Rustin beats St. Thomas Moore. More on that game in a little bit. 51-27. Turlings defeats Brobridge 28-12. You also had... Let's see, 20 to 12 was Turlings, Brobridge. Turlings remains undefeated. You have Westgate beating Lake Charles College Prep 28 to 12. Thanks a lot, Mouse. So, Beauchene, they shut out of Ville Platt 35 0. Turlings defeated Brobridge. Mentioned that just now. Notre Dame Cecilia 13 to 3. St. Edmund beat Livonia 14 to 12. Advil beat Op loses 20 to 6 to remain undefeated. Church Point 35, Eunice nothing. You have Iota, again, mention that one. Sacred Heart shuts out Ville, excuse me, Sacred Heart of Ville Platte shuts out Mamu 57-0. Northwest defeats Kinder 28-26. Grant beats Pine Prairie 43-36. Erath beats Vermilion Catholic 36-34. Nail-biter right there. Lorville beats Kaplan 27-20. And we have, jumping over to Class 2A now, Cavagai Baton Rouge beats Lafayette Christian Academy 38-17. The Knights suffer a tough loss at home to one of the premier teams, not just in the state of Louisiana, but the entire country. Handsome Memorial beats Lake Arthur 47-27. Oakdale beats Port Berry 56-14. Westlake beats Welsh 30-22. Ascension Episcopal beats Cavagai New Iberia 29-0. Franklin beats Delcom 38-13. From what I've been able to kind of hear from a lot of people, the Franklin quarterback is pretty damn good. Definitely, I was hearing some similarities to former LSU quarterback Lindsey Scott Jr., and now he's with Nichols State, the Nichols State Colonels, and he has looked really good for that program. I think we can say the same about Franklin's quarterback. Keep an eye on him. See what he does down the road. West St. Mary beats Jenner at 26 to nothing. Episcopal of Baton Rouge beats Kamakai Point Capi 42-12. Northwood Lena beats North Central 54-36. Opelousas Catholic beats Holy Savior Menard 28-0. Sacred Heart Blanks Mamu 57-0. St. Edmund beats Slavonia 14-12. Westminster Christian beats Highland Baptist 33-7. Berwick shuts out Centerville 35-0. Central Catholic beats McKinley 38-6. Covenant Christian beats St. John 30-22. Hanson Memorial beats Lake Arthur 47-27. Westminster Christian beats Island Baptist. Talked about it a second ago, 33-7 win. And Erath beats Vermilion Catholic 36-34. Those are your scores. And some overall takeaways from the Week 5 action. I think we need to obviously get down to brass tacks in this opening salvo about high school football takeaways and get down to what happened with Walker Howard. Suffered a lower leg injury, according to a lot of sources. We haven't been able to find out the severity of it just yet, but he injured his left leg in the contest against Rustin last night, and it got a lot of people concerned. There's no word yet on how long he could be out for, but it's going to be a real nail-biter, to say the least, to see how this whole thing goes. Again, this is the nation's number one quarterback, according to 24-7 Sports, their composite. 
and he was set for a unofficial visit this weekend for a match against Cincinnati that looks to be highly in doubt right now. But this is not a great... It's, it's not the best thing in the world for STM, obviously. St. Thomas More is going to have to try and figure out their game plan going forward without one of their star quarterbacks in Walker Howard. It's going to be a little interesting to see how it all pans out for this program. And seeing if you're out without him for a long period of time, how are you going to do things in class six, five, four, excuse me, when you got a team like Karen Crow, you got Turlings Catholic. They are undefeated right now. They're one of the cream of the crop in the area. I think this 5-4-A is a little bit more wide open than it has been in the past where it's largely been STM holding dominion over the last few years, especially if Walker Howard is out for a long time. Again, haven't heard anything about how long the injury could be, but it's something to monitor. You have LCA obviously got beat up big by a top-flight Catholic High program. One of the few times I've seen LCA look vulnerable. I talked to with Nick Diaz on the post-game show last night. It was surprising to see how much of a one-sided affair it was. And things just changed in like a New York minute. And we saw like Catholic Eye, the first play from scrimmage, they score and took over that contest very early on. So Catholic Eye, they proved themselves because, again, I talked about it earlier, Max Preps has them as like a top 25 team in the entire doggone country. It really speaks to the talent that Catholic High has up and down and sideways on that thing. It's definitely a heck of a program. Meanwhile, Turlings and Abbeville, they are teams that are really starting to prove themselves as to be the cream of the crop in the Acadian area. You don't have that many undefeated teams heading into a lot of these programs, heading into district play. 3-5-A already started their district this week. But you don't have a whole heck of a lot of undefeated teams church points one of them but church points always a team that could be like a contender in class three but Abbeville it's been a long time since they've gotten to this point and b5 and oh and b5 and oh especially in a dominant fashion they're taking over the Wildcats over in Vermilion Parish definitely going to be a lot of fun obviously Lorville still undefeated they've been a team that's been on a roll going back to last season I want to see how they look but we're seeing a lot more undefeated teams that aren't necessarily the gold standards, the ones we always think about when it comes to district champions. Acadiana High is not undefeated right now. They're undefeated in district. But now I think the door is wide open for them to kind of slide back in and become one of these teams that's going to move up in the power point, in the power ratings, which I think we're going to be getting sooner rather than later. I know there was one game in particular today in the Acadian area amongst the districts that was actually pushed to tomorrow. That's home of Christian Cohen College Prep. Not necessarily Louisiana, like Acadian area, but it's it's relative because of the fact they got Ascension Episcopal and you have Delcom and you have Jenneret and West St. Mary. You have the Catholic New Iberia. They all kind of play against each other. That's why you see home of Christian kind of in that mix. But yeah. It's wild to see all the stuff going on in the Acadiana area. And one of the other things I had written down was, again, Acadiana High. After a really tough non-district slate, again, to kind of recap, they had a game where they barely got by, if not for a bad like punt 
to start the fourth quarter, a bad punt snap, a bad punt snap in the fourth quarter. Acadian High might have been 0-1 heading into the big game against Catholic High Baton Rouge where they got shut out. Then they allow they only scored 13 points against Lafayette Christian. The last two weeks since they've gotten back into action, 45-10 win over Sulphur and then a 35-10 win over Southside. So essentially, they've put up 80 points in the last two weeks. Well, in the first three weeks, they put up a grand total of 22. So basically, they've they've increased their output almost four times. That's impressive to see. And now we're going to start seeing Acadia and I do Acadia and I things. Now, if they can continue that into the playoffs, that's anybody's guess, and that's about like five weeks away from now. So that's a different conversation we'll save for later. But what we're not going to save for later is a conversation with Lance Dow of the Auburn Wire. We're going to talk about the War Eagles, Plainsmen, the Tigers, however you want to put them, heading into this big game for the LSU Tigers. You are listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7 thegamecom The world-famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a kid at heart. (laughs) Now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear with Under the Dome with the world-famous CD on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. And hopefully you're enjoying yourself. And now we're going to go over to the 103.7 The Game hotline. Get some Auburn conversation in our lives. Get an idea of what's going to be going on, what the other team looks like. Get to know our foe with Lance Daw, Auburn Wire. Lance, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Definitely a wonderful Saturday morning. Woke up and definitely felt like it's a great day for an awesome game day between LSU and Auburn. But let's start looking at the head coach himself because obviously it's a first-year head coach for Brian Harson after being at Boise State for what seems like forever. What's been the early return so far on Harson after the way the season has started, with, especially with that tough loss to Penn State and barely eking out the win over Georgia State? Well, over the course of the first two games, right, you look at the final scores and you say, well, Auburn's obviously going out there and they're getting things done. And whenever you go and watch the film on that first game specifically against Akron, I think we saw a lot of really good things. I think we saw a lot of good things from Bo Nix. I think we saw a lot of good things from the offense. They were more diverse. They weren't just running the football over and over. The Alabama State game took Auburn a little while to get things going, but eventually special teams came into play and they they really helped out. So as far as the overall product from Brian Harson. I think we saw some really good things over those first two games. Now, obviously, the loss at Penn State was a setback. There were a couple of miscues in that game, a couple of question marks as far as play calling goes. Obviously, everybody's talking about that fourth and goal fade late in the game. But overall, as a fan personally, I was really impressed with the way that Auburn played in that game because in the past, I feel like under Malzahn, Auburn would have folded in that type of environment, right? Auburn would not have come back down after – Penn State had scored, they would have just folded. So I was impressed with that, even though we lost. And then this past weekend, obviously, 
that was just embarrassing. What happened against Georgia State, the preparation was just embarrassing. And now Auburn came out in the second half and they made adjustments and they won that game. But overall, you look at the product that Brian Harson's put out. In the, the start of the season, I was feeling pretty confident. And even after the Penn State loss, I was still feeling really pretty confident. But this Georgia State game, I'm just sitting here trying to figure out, is this an anomaly from Brian Harson and this coaching staff? Is this, is this something that we should get used to? Because all he talks about is being 1-0 and going out and executing the best you, to the best of your ability every week. But after you put out a performance like that, I wonder, are you looking forward to this LSU matchup? Are you just not focused this week? And so I think moving forward, we're going to have to wait a few games to really figure out, in, in SEC play at least, to really figure out what Brian Harson is made of, what this team is made of. But overall, I feel like this program is heading in a better direction than where it was under Malzahn. And look, that's the reason why they hired the guy, is they wanted to be able to get to the levels of the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world. And so I think if you give this guy time, he's going to get there. But overall product through the first four games of the season, I would say it's relatively positive, but this, uh, this last game, uh, weekend uh, was definitely a setback. It, it definitely seemed like it, Lance, and obviously looking at what they did following the Georgia State game, how surprised were you to see Cornelius Williams let go as the wide receivers coach? Does that felt like it came out of like left field from my perspective. What about yours? It was definitely shocking. It was definitely shocking on Sunday to hear that news. And look, I saw a lot of people saying, it's like, well, this is kind of the scapegoat. Auburn was kind of trying to just push somebody out. It just felt the need to fire somebody after a close loss like that. And look, that's not the way that I view it. Williams had nine months to coach these receivers. He didn't have just four games. He's been doing this for nine months now with Auburn. And so if the product is not up to the standards of this coaching staff, obviously changes have to be made. I believe Brian Harson even said it to himself. It's like there's no timetable on letting people go. Like Whenever the product's not good, you let them go. So with Williams, it was definitely shocking. I didn't expect this coaching staff to make that move because, again, we haven't seen under Malzahn. We didn't see that a whole lot. We didn't see them making changes midseason. So, yeah, I definitely say it was shocking, and I really hope that it's not to the detriment of this locker room and it's not the detriment to, the, to these receivers, right? I, I really hope that this new guy, Eric Keesaw, is able to actually go in there and implement things and do a better job than Williams. But you talk about Brian Harson, you talk about, you know, what is the, the outlook on him right now? For him to be able to make a decision like that midseason, I think is impressive. I think it proves that he really cares about winning. He doesn't care about hurting people's feelings. And I really hope Cornelius Williams lands somewhere, and I hope he does great. But he really just cares about what's being put out on the field, and he cares about these kids and these players and this team getting better. So, yeah, it was surprising. But whenever I sat down to really think about it, it impressed me. It was like it was kind of cool to see that happen because, again, like you talk about the fact that like, Brian Harson always talks about being one or no and just focusing on one game at a time. I think that may have changed things. He's like, internally, I think this week was definitely, I, I like to call it ass-chewing time, where after a tough loss or you barely eke out a win to a team you should have been able to beat by, let's say, 20 points, that's what Georgia State should have been, in all honesty, for a program like Auburn. And I think that this week was definitely like behind the scenes, guys, we need to get our asses in gear or we're going to wind up losing a lot of really big ball games, especially with this one coming up to open up conference play against an LSU team that looks to be a little bit better, and now, especially now because now you have the quarterback controversy. And last I checked, I did not see anything about who he has starting. Have you heard anything? Is it going to be Bo Nix or is it going to be former LSU quarterback DJ Finley? 
I've not heard anything about who's going to start tonight, but I will say I know that Bo is not 100% right now. I know that Finley was taking first team reps every single snap of first team reps on Sunday. Since then, Nixon Finley have split time. But look, whoever trots out there is going to have to have a complete game, and I really hope that whoever this coaching staff puts out there, I hope they finish the game because I do not want to see a quarterback carousel. We've seen things go bad quickly in the past whenever Auburn has not been able to have stability at the quarterback position. So when you look at Bo Nix, you look at TJ Finley, you look at their different skill sets, I think you take a look at this game plan, and I, and I look at this LSU defense, and I make my decision based off of, okay, who can lead and who can best execute that game plan. So I don't know who's going to start this Saturday. If I had to pick, I would say Bo Nix. I still think it, I, th- I still think Nix, after three years in the SEC, he should be the one to start this game. Uh, but, but, but Finley also, I believe, I would not be mad if I saw Finley trot out uh, this, this tonight at, at, at 8 p.m. I believe he's got some, uh, some things to work on, but I think he's got a great skill set. And uh, he could definitely take this team to another level if he, if he goes out there and he executes. So I think it's going to be Knicks. That's just my personal opinion. What's the things he needs to work on? Because I'm interested to hear your perspective on this because like, he's a guy that had a really great freshman year that made people – take notice i mean the fact that auburn beat alabama and knocked him out of the playoff in 2019 and now it feels like every year he's regressed at least somewhat to where this team like absolutely needed to see a change especially after the way the georgia state game was going and thankfully tj finley was able to come away with that big win for the program after what it felt like the game was out of out of reach he was able to kind of lead this team to victory what do you think he needs to improve on to be able to kind of really assert himself back into that leadership role? I think the most important thing for me is his accuracy. We saw, even on that final drive specifically for TJ Finley, we saw him miss on a deep post shot. If he had put it on the inside shoulder of the receiver instead of leading him outside, the receiver, Javaris Johnson, would not have to die for it. He would have caught it in stride. And then we saw, closer towards the end zone, we saw Kobe Hudson wide open on the left side. He just overshot him. And we saw miscues when he came into the third quarter. We just saw him miss on throws occasionally. Now the leadership is there. That he does not need to work on. He is, he's decisive. He's gutsy. But I think the accuracy is the most important thing for me because these receivers, if they get open, you're going to have to be able to hit them downfield. It's something that we saw in the Penn State game, right? When Knicks was, uh, he had some receivers open. Demetrius Robertson specifically was open a couple of times downfield deep. And he just missed on him. You need to see accuracy from the quarterback position if you're looking at Finley. I like what he does as a quarterback. I think he's talented. But the accuracy, and I think that's going to come with time, I think the accuracy for me is the most important thing. Talk right now with Lance Daw of Auburn Wire. And looking at the matchup tonight, it's going to be a late matchup. What do you think is going to be the biggest key to victory for the Tigers? I think the biggest thing for Auburn, and this is very similar to what we saw in the Penn State game, it's the pass rush. Look, Auburn was not able to generate any sort of pressure on Sean Clifford a couple of weeks ago, and he carved them up. And I said it in the offseason. I said it so many different times on air on my show. I was like, look, the pass rush has to get home in order for Auburn to win this game because it's not gotten home in years past in big games and they've lost. And I think you look at this game, you look at Max Johnson, he plays really well when he has a clean pocket. But whenever he doesn't have a clean pocket, he's prone to mistakes. And so if Auburn's going to try and do something tonight to try and win this game, the most important key to me, I think, is getting that pass rush going. And they've got to be able to do it consistently. Otherwise, LSU at home, in Death Valley at night, 
they can get in a rhythm really early. And if Auburn is not able to generate a pass rush, you look in that secondary, and I know Auburn's only allowing 185 passing yards a game right now, but there have been multiple times in the Penn State game, and Penn State actually went out there and they, they, they exploited those issues, but even in Akron and Georgia State and Alabama State, there'd be a receiver open downfield, and the quarterback for those, uh, for those cupcake teams would just simply miss. And so in this game, you got to be able to generate pressure because Max Johnson is not going to miss on those deep throws to Keishon Boutte. He's just not. It's just simply not going to happen. So if this, if this pass rush can't get home, I see a very similar scenario to what happened in, in uh, Happy Valley a couple weeks ago where Max Johnson just goes off and has a, uh, an incredible performance. And, you know, when you think about it, Auburn, over the last several years, they've gone to Tiger Stadium since 1999. They haven't won a game at LSU's Tiger Stadium. I think this game, I mean, obviously, it's a, be a huge statement win for Harson because we'd be breaking that curse of almost over 30 years at this point. What, what can this do for him to kind of silence some of those maybe boo birds that have circled around the program? It's probably not many, but I feel like there are some that are out there kind of nitpicking at him. There are certainly some, I would agree with that. And what it would do is it would make everybody completely forget about what happened last week, right? If you take that performance out, you're looking at an Auburn team that went out there and executed and then dropped at least 60 on two cupcake opponents, which is a good thing. You, you should beat those opponents like that. And then they went out and competed against the currently the number four team in the nation. So I think you get that win against LSU, everybody forgets about that Georgia State loss, and all of a sudden bowl eligibility is back on the table for Auburn. And not only just bowl eligibility – but you look at some of these other games, the Texas A&M, the Arkansas, the Ole Misses, I think those are games Auburn can go out and not, and not just compete in, but win, if they win this game tonight. If they don't win this game tonight, I can definitely see some more Bluebirds, Bluebirds joining the crowd and, and, and complaining a little bit, because at some point, all the talk about 1-0 and and getting better, it becomes repetitive if you're not out there winning. But if Auburn were, to, were able to win tonight, I think moving forward for this program – it would definitely save the season because I think a lot of people would finally shut up. But I think moving forward, it would just do, it would just do wonders for this fan base just to calm them down and to calm this locker room down because I guarantee you a lot of players are somewhat uneasy after last week's performance. Two-part question before I let you go. First part, what do you think the score is going to be for tonight's contest? And second part, if Auburn wins, how crazy is Toomer's corner going to be? I'll answer the tumors part first. Well, I've been not as much as I would have liked to the tumors after a win, but it's a phenomenal scene. It's going to be absolutely wild. Uh, they do have some trees that we're not allowed to roll, but they're probably going to get rolled anyway if, if Auburn wins tonight. And there will be a lot of cigars. <laughs> I, will, I will also say that as well. Final score, I'll be honest with you, Clint. I think Auburn's pass rush is definitely dealing with some issues right now. That secondary it's not 100%. The linebackers aren't 100% healthy. Owen Papo is questionable for this game. And I just don't see Auburn surviving against a pass-happy LSU offense. This is the first time this Auburn defense is going to get tested. Right now, I'm thinking Auburn loses by 10. 37-27 was the final score that I put out on Auburn Wire, and I'm going to stick to that. So what you're saying is the if if Auburn wins, Tumor's corner is going to look way better than the Heisman House commercial with Charles Barkley, right? Oh, absolutely, yes, yes. I appreciate you coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the game tonight. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right, that was Lance Dahl. Absolutely appreciate him coming on the program, part of Auburn Wire. And he has a phenomenal 
Twitter handle. It's Daw Pound on Twitter. That's D-A-W-E Pound. I love the fact that he has that as a Twitter handle. Go give him a follow if you will. Going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. Going to come back, wrap up the hour with five picks that you need to click. And also, I'll recap the last two weeks for you because we had, obviously, no show last week. But I still put out there five picks to click last Saturday. So we'll get to that and so much more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. The numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. And it is indeed time to kind of wrap the hour with what I like to do each and every Saturday in hour one, and that is give you my picks to click for the college and NFL slate of games. And there's five in particular that I think in my mind can take your bankroll pretty much to extremely high places. I'm thinking... And I have to agree, to the moon is where I think it's going to go. Two weeks ago, you had a pretty decent bankroll, I think, especially if you took my advice. You went four for five. You just went individually. If you went parlay, I'm sorry. But four of five last uh, two weeks ago, if only one of those games had cash, I believe it might. I can't remember what it is now. Oh, the only miss I had was Arizona State BYU. Last weekend, I decided, you know, there's no show, but I'm still going to take five bets. And these are the ones I had last week, in case you didn't see it on social media. UMass covering versus Coastal Carolina. Notre Dame straight up versus Wisconsin, which I got that one right. Under versus Arizona, Oregon. Missed that one. Broncos cover against the Jets. They were 10.5 point favorites. They covered easily 26-0 victory over the New York football Jets. And I'd say... Take the over Chiefs Chargers. A brutally bad beat for the first time this season for yours truly. It was 54 and a half. It was 54 the total after a missed extra point by the Chargers. Wound up costing me a good bit of confidence where I was going to be three or five. And it probably it cost me being 500 essentially in my bets. So two for five last weekend, 500 overall, nine of 20 on picks this season. Now let's get to this Saturday slate. I think South Alabama covers versus the Cajuns. 12 and a half point spread that is way too high. Cajuns barely beat Georgia Southern last week. And South Alabama is 3-0. They look a lot better. They're not consistently inconsistent like they have been in the past. So I think Cajuns beat Georgia, beat South Alabama, but South Alabama does cover. Mississippi State, give me them straight up over Texas A&M. They proved to me a lot. They managed to keep it very competitive at the end of that ball game. Mike Leach is probably underneath the hot seat right now with the way this career has started in the conference of Dixie. Aggies aren't great right now. This is a golden opportunity to do so. They're currently seven-point underdogs, and I like the dogs getting it done over the Aggies. 
Now, in terms of an over-under in the college ranks, give me the over-under Ole Miss Alabama at 79 and a half. Give me the over two high-scoring offenses. Easy money. I wouldn't be surprised if this is like a 45-40 type ball game. That's kind of where I'm going to lay my head right now. Now let's get to the NFL slate. Two games. First off, Texans, I got them covering against the Buffalo Bills. Plus 17-point dogs. Too high of a spread. Bills win. I think Houston gets to 17 or lower. Uh, they'll get probably If they get two touchdown loss, that is a win for me. In terms of an over-under, give me the over. Cardinals versus Rams, 54.5 points. No way. Am I missing on that one? The NFC West's absolute best to high-powered offenses. This is going to be a fun ball game. I'm taking the over on 54.5. And, and in terms of a Survivor League pick, because I'm still in mine, I'm going to keep doing these until I am officially out of it. I'm hoping to stay in it for the entire 18 weeks. But for me, I'm going against my better judgment. I'm going with my heart. and going with Saints-Giants for my Survivor League pick. Wish me luck this weekend. Hopefully, you can get it done as well. Hour two, coming up next, we're starting off with a conversation about the Cajuns and the one thing that might be keeping them from another Sunbelt West crown next. This can be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down to life out here. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD, hour number two of two officially underway. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself wherever you are. If you, maybe you're getting ready for a little tailgating over across the basin in Baton Rouge. Maybe you're getting in it early because obviously it's a late, 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 late night, 8 o'clock kickoff. You'll hear that right here on 103.7 The Game and, one, and not on 103.7thegame.com. Can't air that on there. But of course, as always, we are coming to you live right here from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Hear this worldwide! And while you can't hear us on the mobile app for LSU football, you can hear us worldwide on the free 103.7 Game mobile app. Download that thing today. The smart speakers, Amazon Echo, Google Home. Trust me, you'll want to get in on that action and listen to us live from there and so many more other ways, including the Tower of Power that is 1037 Games FM dial. He is the tower power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal. The man. And I have to agree, the man is absolutely loving what's going on right now. And we got another hour of show left for you and yours. It's definitely going to be a fun one. And we got to talk about what's going on with the Louisiana Raging Cages. Start off this hour because to me, I usually play the first top of the first hour. A little macho man, Randy Savage, 
and to steal a phrase from one of his more infamous promos, the Cajuns football program is unjustifiably in a position they'd rather not be in right now. Because they did not look great against Georgia Southern. Now, mind you, Georgia Southern put the fear of God into them last year when they had that magical season where they were 10-1 and and ended the season ranked for the first time ever. This program has to prove a lot the rest of the way. For me to be really, like, assured that they can get to 10 wins. Because if they don't get to 10 wins, it's a clear regression for the program. It's a loss. But getting to the Sunbelt Conference Championship game and winning, that's all that matters. But the West Division isn't necessarily secured as of yet. Is that West Division is going to be an arduous task, I think, in my mind, this year more than others. Again, that's just my opinion. Because you've got some teams that are getting better and look more interesting. Look at all the changes that's been made over in the Sunbelt West alone. Georgia Southern, they got their coach out the door after a 1-3 and three start. Chad Lunsford seems like a good guy, but he was gone. I think that may have, might have been the fact that he wasn't able to keep his team and his players under control. You got a cat out there. He's on top of a bus chugging a beer, or at least what looked like a beer, and it pops up on TikTok and it goes viral. I think it might have been on Snapchat too, but that's a different, again, different conversation. Dude was out there on top of a bus drinking, and he's suspended indefinitely, but still shows a clear issue of culture. But you look at the, I mean, you look at the East, it is pretty much Coastal and App State's playground. Everybody else is one and three, two and two. Meanwhile, what's going on right now in the West Division, that's more intriguing. Arkansas State, they've got some work to do. They're one and three right now. They've lost three straight. Texas State, they're about where they've been in the past. So never, I, I think. Texas State is very much the Vanderbilt of Sunbelt football. They'll always be towards the bottom and regress towards the mean. But you have South Alabama, UL Monroe, and the Cajuns all atop the conference. That's your conference leaderboard. 3-1, and 2-1, and one, and 3-0. and oh. Cajuns and UL Monroe. Who had a, who had, who would have thunk it? Like, I, I didn't lambast the hire of... Tommy Bowden, but I thought it was a little bit of a weird move to go ahead and go with a head coach that really hadn't necessarily done a whole hell of a lot in recent history to kind of justify it. But lo and behold, this team is currently 2-1, and one, with their only loss being to a Kentucky team that is looking pretty good. And mind you, she's going to have to play Kentucky next week, and we're going to see how really good that program can be. But again, you beat Troy 29-16 to last weekend. If you're looking at, at home, that's a huge win for the UL Monroe Warhawks to set themselves up for some really good things in the future. Now, of course, they got a big game tonight against Georgia. against Coastal. That's probably going to be lost. But still, it's all about what you do in the West, West Division, how the West has won. And those three teams that are at the top right now are looking better while one clearly has 
some holes, and that's the Cajuns. South Alabama, it's a wait-for-them-to-fall-apart type thing because South Alabama has been a team that's had its moments. Remember back when Troy beat LSU? I sure do. I'm sure you do as well. But after Troy beat LSU, they lost to South Alabama. What did South Alabama do the next week? They lost to the Cajuns, and the loss to the Cajuns is bad. And that was at a time when the Cajuns didn't know who their starting quarterback was, and they were going through a veritable like carousel of all the quarterbacks they could find. I'll never forget that time frame. Because that was a mess of an era for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. South Alabama just await for them to fall apart. Or can they continue to rise? Because Kane Womack has got this team 3-0 for the first time in I don't know how long. Mind you, South Alabama schedule kind of... We talked about a couple weeks ago with Scott Watkins. You played Southern Miss, and Southern Miss is regressing. Bowling Green and Alcorn State. You can't take away a damn thing from those games. But you can say, hey, they look to be more interesting than other years under Kane Womack. This will be the first real test. But... What's stopping the Cajuns from potentially losing that game or losing other contests? Because one of the big things for me is your offensive line is virtually non-existent and it's the exact opposite look from what we've seen in the past couple of years. It's a very different look. I just don't understand why we're seeing you know, this Cajuns team hit all these roadblocks. You open up the season with a tough loss to Texas, and they look good for about like a quarter or so. Then the Cajuns beat Nickel State, but almost let them win. If that was a loss, I guarantee you Napier, a guy who has built up so much goodwill, that thing would have eradicated quicker than Thanos snapping half the universe in Avengers Infinity War. How about that for a reference? Then you beat the then you beat Ohio like you should have, like a drum, 49-14. Then you barely beat Georgia Southern. It's a team that is getting the wins, but they are very weird wins. South Alabama is a team that last year, after a slow start, after they were sluggish in 2020, because like, go back and look at that team. Yes, they beat Iowa State, but at the same time, they had a lot of issues at least in my mind they had a lot of issues and they had moments where they barely beat teams like Georgia Southern and Georgia State and then they wound up losing to Coastal Carolina on a walk-off field goal after that they got the mind right and South Alabama was that turning point back in November of last year when they wore the blackout jerseys they're wearing them again tonight and I'm so glad they're wearing them where it's the white lettering because my god the ones they were wearing during the Hudson era and also a little bit early Billy Napier era are the worst jerseys imaginable to look at from a top. Because again, I this will be my first year not in a press box for any games this year. And I was blown away by how awful those looked every single time. They looked great on the field, but if you're up in the press box the lettering and the numbers were too shiny to really tell who it is. You'd have to have like a spotter with a really good eyesight to tell you what exactly is going on in some cases. The white looks a little bit better. Hell, the helmet 
the big old red Raging Cajun on the black helmet, it looks good. And I'm hoping this team does look good. But you've got an offensive line that is not the same. It's like it's entirely different compared to what it was heading into the season. A lot of injuries. Hell, you don't have your starting kicker from week one, Kenny Almaderas. Thank God you've got somebody ready to go like Nate Snyder. Thank goodness you still have him on the team. Now hopefully he can get things done because it's a little bit different having to pull him and play somebody else. Now can he take advantage of this opportunity and maybe parlay this into a really good season? Remains to be seen because he's had his moments where don't forget Kenny Almaderas was the hero, if I'm not mistaken. No, it was Nate Snyder. Nate Snyder did manage to get a game-winning field goal from, like, forever yards. Like It was, like, 50-plus yards, which was a great moment for the program. But who is going to, like, step up? Who's going to step up for the Cajuns? The offensive line, I've talked about a lot. Consistency is key, or continuity is key for an offensive line to be successful. Now you've got guys like Carlos Rubio. Yep, real good veterans. They're all gone due to injury. It's not due to eligibility or anything. They are done for the year due to injuries. That's going to play a huge role against South Alabama. Their defense is going to give the Cajuns fits in my mind. I don't know what their quarterback looks like off top, but the Cajuns have had a hard time against quarterbacks that love to run the football. I guarantee you the Cajuns run into a triple option like Coastal Carolina, thankfully they don't play them this year. But you win this game, you've got a golden opportunity just like right there for the taking in two weeks' time on October 12th on a big Tuesday night when you take on App State. App State you haven't been able to beat at home. You only beat once ever, and you beat them despite all your errors. Despite all the errors you had, you were still able to eke out a win. This is almost must-win territory because you are 4-1 to start off the season and you beat a West Division opponent. Because after that, you got the only real team you're going to have to worry about is UL Monroe, and that's if they continue to be good, and that's your last game of the year. You've got Arkansas State. They're a little bit on a downward downturn, but I think that's just the fact that they're rebuilding in the – I can, I'll admit it, Blake Anderson did a great job as the head coach for the Red Wolves. He kept that team competitive. This quote-unquote rivalry game isn't going to be that same way this year. The juice isn't going to be there because I think they're still adapting. Butch Jones is going to have to – it's going to take some time for Butch Jones to truly become the guy. At least it's that's the way I see it. Everything else the rest of the way, it's anything goes. But this game, I think in my mind, is going to set the tone for the rest of the season. You have that bye week, and you play App State on October 12th. You need to be 4-1 and one heading into this because 3-2, and two, and two of those wins were by eight points or less. That's pas bon. At least that's the way I see it. But if you disagree, 337-706-0111. What we're talking about, the cage is potentially trying to be Four and one tonight, tomorrow, I think we need to talk about what's going on with the New Orleans Saints. Can they be four and one heading into the bye week? I've got some thoughts. I'll break them down next. We have Kyle Mosley join the program as well. 
at around 11.30. Going to talk about what's going on with the New Orleans Saints heading into the big game against the New York Giants. We'll be back after this on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Woo! Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And it is a pretty damn good lineup of early games. The 11 a.m. slate is stacked. And honestly, Georgia up early on Arkansas 7-0. I still think Arkansas can make it a very competitive ball game. It was one of those spreads I was looking at and almost decided to throw down on on Friday night when I was going to putting together this list and I just say you know what it's a little bit too middle of the package for me to really say hey this is going to be a secure win you also got Michigan Wisconsin two team well one team was formerly in the top 25 before Notre Dame beat their faces in late in that contest like they put up 30 something odd points in that game last week I was so glad I picked Notre Dame straight up to win that one Michigan's got the ball they're tied nothing nothing it's a couple games to be getting started shortly, I know 11.30 kick, we'll have Kyle T. Mosley on in about eight or nine minutes. In the meantime, in the between time, I talked about the New Orleans Saints, but I'm looking at what the rest of the kind of sources are right now for the world of sports. And I'm just seeing this pop up. Rob Gronkowski is to be out. If you're, This is a fantasy alert for you. Rob Gronkowski is to be out week four against the New England Patriots. So I'd say move Gronk to your bench and try and find another tight end that's going to fill your role. Don't ask me any like tips. I'm currently 0-3 right now, so I'm the last person you need to talk to about that. Meanwhile, one of the other games that I'm definitely interested in, I have it on inside the first South Farm Credit Studios behind me. TCU's up on Texas 7-3. TCU got a very early score, and right as I was getting on a break, the Longhorns had to settle for a field goal. But I'm talking about the New Orleans Saints. And this is a team that I I just am not sure who they are yet. I think that's a lot of us right now, if we're being honest. This team has had a lot of things go wrong in week two. Honestly, I think a lot of us thought probably this team's record heading into week four was going to be 2-1. and one. It just wasn't the way we thought it was going to be. After week one, we were like, oh, no, we're going to wind up being way better. Then everybody was in COVID jail on the coach's side. Thankfully, none of the players were, which was wild in and of itself. But, yeah, that happened. And you managed to turn it around and get a really good win over the New England Patriots. Yes, it's a Patriots team not led by Tom Brady. And I feel like Bill Belichick is realizing he is going to be outclassed. Now, mind you. What's going to happen when Brady and Belichick face off for the first time ever is anybody's guess, especially with this news about Rob Gronkowski out for the contest. But I think we can say that this LSU team, this excuse me, this New Orleans Saints team has a very good to great chance of being 
four and one heading into the bye week. If you've listened to me talk on this station before, you know how important these first four games are. You've heard me talk about the history of it. The Saints, when they're one and three, they are going seven and nine and they're going to miss the playoffs. Now, mind you, this year's going to be a lot different, but I still think the first four games are crucially important because if you go above 500, you are not only guaranteed to make the playoffs, you could have a chance to make a run, Jack. Look at what they've done over the last few years. They have been a team where they hit that. They've broken a couple of those like curses over the last few years. And it's because I've seen them do first four weeks of the season, and I believe 2017 may have been a year where they kind of broke it. Just in terms of the Sean Payton era, in and of itself, when they go three and one, they are usually a, ver- a almost a mortal lock to be a playoff team. Look at just in 2017 alone. They were two and two. That broke a spell where every time they were two and two, which only happened I think once or twice, they were eight and eight. Still missed the playoffs, but they broke that. More because of the fact that they were able to turn around, got rid of I'm not gonna say he was a it was a bad look, but you got rid of Adrian Peterson. That turned it around. Twenty eighteen. You had a four a four and one start heading into the bye week. Thanks in large part to wins over the New York football team, New York football giants and the Washington football team, then called the Redskins. You managed to re- reel off four straight wins after a, a disappointing loss to the Bucks. 2019, you did more of the same, 3-1. and one. You were actually 6-1 and one heading into the bye week. You were, excuse me, 7-1 and one heading into the bye week. One of the best records in the league, bar none in 2019. Nothing short of impressive. Now you got a chance to duplicate what you did in 2018 and be 4-1 with Jameis Winston. If you told me at the beginning of the year that this Saints team could be 4-1 heading into the bye week and poised to make the playoffs, I'd probably say, okay, let's do it. All right, bet. That's where we're at right now. And it's fantastic to see how this team is going to adjust over the course of the season because how is this going to work? We kept talking about the Drew Brees era, the post-Drew Brees era, and we were concerned about how this team was going to go because that playoff window was closing. Honestly, from what I've seen, and it's been a lot more on the defensive side, yes, but this Saints team looks better on the defensive side of the football, and that's been a big reason why they've been winning ball games. Go look at the Patriots game and tell me that's not true. You managed to like shake this rookie quarterback's confidence to its very core with a three-interception ball game, including a pick six to start the second half, that really put the game out of reach. That was a strong-ass performance. Now, I think, obviously, Jameis Winston, he's getting better. My thing is, Jameis has to be protected a little bit better. And it's going to take a while for that to actually happen because Eric McCoy still out. Teron Armstead, he's out for the contest on Sunday against the Giants. But here's the thing. I talk about that defense. That defense is going to have a field day because you're going to be playing a New York football Giants team that's led by Danny Dimes. Daniel Jones 
and he doesn't have much to really work with heading into Sunday's contest. I was waiting to find out what that Friday injury report was going to look like because a lot of guys did not practice for the Giants. It was basically a laundry list of people. Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, they're both out. Yeah, Kenny Galladay, he was limited in practice. He's still listed as able to play. He's maybe going to be inactive. I don't know. But we'll find out probably closer to Sunday. Saquon Barkley, limited knee injury. Like, not a whole lot of guys were listed as out for the New Orleans Saints. The only two were going to be Eric McCoy and Tron Armstead. Demario Davis, he missed a day due to personal so personal issues. His wife was giving birth to their fifth child, I believe, which was great. So he didn't practice Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday. So he didn't practice then. Friday, he was full go. He's to be ready to go. Marshawn Lattimore, he's good to go. Full practice all week with a hand injury. I was surprised to see the knee injury, but it looks like that may have been just the fact that he may have scuffed it up a little bit in the contest against New England after getting sacked. But he's going to get better. And he's going to be ready to go. for. S- and doing that is huge. To have that on Sunday afternoon, to have virtually everybody back, the coaching staff is back in full strength, we finally get some good news. And some players are being are returning to practice. They're not going full go in uniform, boom, boom. But they're starting to make strides towards getting back onto the field. That's huge. I'd say, and I think you got the bye week next week before Monday Night Football against the Seattle Seahawks. This is going to be a crucial ball game for a lot of reasons. And I think that the Saints do indeed win. Now, do they win big? I don't necessarily think so. But I think they have every chance to really secure a spot in front of the line or towards the front of the line, not just in the NFC South, but the NFC in general, which is going to be very tough. I think the NFC West has a lot to do with it because you've got three teams that are towards the top of the top of the rankings. I think the Los Angeles Rams are way better than I thought they were going to be heading into the season. I just didn't know how Matthew Stafford was going to handle winning. Matthew Stafford's been part of the Detroit Lions for years, and he had Megatron, and that was about it. Now you got somebody that you can work with. You got a great offensive group. You got an offensive-minded head coach. Things are looking better for him to be able to maybe, just maybe, get a ring. I'm not counting him a Super Bowl because I, I can't do that, especially since Tom Brady is in that same division. And the last time the Rams played Tom Brady in a big game, like an NFC title game or a Super Bowl, Tom Brady and the Pats went there behind and made him look like amateurs. It was very much similar to watching the Seattle Seahawks dismantle the Denver Broncos a few years ago. So for me, this Sunday, I said it earlier, they're my Survivor League pick, and I'm very confident in that. I think the Saints beat the New York Giants. They improved to 3-1, and one, and they have a chance to be 4-1 and one against the Washington football team that, honestly, I may not know a whole heck of a lot about, but I've probably got a better feeling than not they're going to win that contest. We'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll have Kyle T. Mosley of the Saints News Network. He'll be joining the program. We're going to get into it on the world of the Saints with him next. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. 
The world-famous CD is a pretty easygoing guy for the most part. Some might consider him to be the dude of Acadiana's sports station. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. There are some occasions when he does get unreasonably upset. I still don't understand why they drafted Ian Book in the fourth round. You didn't need another quarterback. You had two already. You could have wound up getting something that's going to help you out down the road offensively rather than somebody that's probably going to be more on the lines of a Garrett Grayson in the history of the Saints franchise. Let's all hope he's in a good mood this morning. Back to more Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Acadiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Under the Dome at CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Hopefully you're having a good one. And I want to talk about the New Orleans Saints a little bit more. And typically we usually have on our usual Saturday guest, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. But we had him on when we filled in for Crunch Time with David Grubb. So I gave him this Saturday off. Still wanted to get some Saints talk in. So I I called in the heater. And that is our guy, part of the Saints News Network, part of SI Now, and one of the hosts of the Bayou Blitz 412 podcast. That is our guy, Kyle T. Mosley. Kyle, how's it going? Hey, man. Look, I'm glad I could be able to fill in like Mariano uh, Rivera to be able to come off the bench and close it out for Ross, man. You know, so. (laughs) I'm about to say, I I was going to go more, you know, Rick Wild Thing Vaughn, but Mariano Rivera is a pretty good, pretty good comparison as well, man. Yeah, look, it's October, right? And it's uh, ready to have some good pitching performance. Let's make sure we have some good quarterbacking going on in the Superdome on tomorrow. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. It's absolutely crucial to have that, especially against the New York Giants. But looking specifically at Jameis Winston the last three weeks, it looked like to a certain extent we got to see more of the feast as opposed to the famine that we saw in week two when they took on the New England Patriots. What have been your overall takeaways a month into the season of what we've seen from Jameis Winston? Well, it's not too shocking for me because I believe I wrote at the beginning of the season that I think it was going to take Sean Payton and Wallace Jameis to kind of feel their way out with their new relationship probably by game six or seven of the season, right? Um, I think also Jameis has some limitations, not because of himself, but because of his wide receivers. Those guys are not getting the separation that's necessary, right? Uh, you look at Callaway, who is the number one wide receiver penciled in at this time, he only has 2.3 yards of separation. And uh, defenders are only giving him a 4.1-yard cushion off the line of scrimmage. So until these guys are able to really uh, give him some targets to be able to uh, pass to, it's going to be more of the same. Now, the good thing is we have a strong run game with Alvin Kamara. Tony Jones Jr. is doing such an admirable job. But also Taysom Hill is going to have to be keyed in on more. I think uh, this team at this time, the Saints are more, I think, almost 57% run versus 43% uh, on uh, the pass, right? So I've, if you look at what the Saints can do, let's key in on the strongest point. If it's going to be the rush, 
let's continue with the rush and continue to put some pressure on the opposing defenses and wear those guys down. Talking right now, Kyle T. Mosley, part of the Saints News Network. And one of the, the things that I've just noticed is you brought up the fact you're not seeing him with the top flight wide receivers like a Michael Thomas and also Trey Quan Smith. He's currently out as well. But we're seeing more of him utilize the tight ends, a lot like what we saw Drew Brees do in the early 2010s with guys like Jimmy Graham. You're seeing him get to those big body guys. Hell, I mean, you saw the miracle pass he had on Sunday against the Patriots. Like it looked like, you know, he's definitely utilizing those guys as a security blanket for right now. Yeah, not so much in the New England game, but of course the first two uh, games of the season. If Jawan Johnson and Troutman can really keep on stepping up and present themselves as uh, good targets, especially down the scenes, I think this is a good game to do it. Uh, the linebacking core for the Giants is suffering right now with the loss of Martinez. Uh, they have been susceptible to tight end really performing well against them through the first three games of the season themselves. I think this is a really good game for the tight ends to be able to come in and show up for uh, Winston and help out in the offense. But also, man, the Saints have to really do better at not putting themselves in uh, compromising positions as far as the third downs and loans. Uh, the careless penalties, the false starts, uh, some of the uh, plays are not being executed well on first down and right now the Saints are not doing well converting on third down. I think they are are really low on the totem pole in the NFL right now when it comes to third down conversion only at 38%. But I, I really see if, unless they are able to really put themselves in better position, help Jameis Winston out in that area or even put themselves closer with third and three, third and four at least, to be able to give themselves a fighting chance to sustain some of these drives, it's going to be difficult. So I hope Sean Payton is looking at that to be able to rectify that situation because other than uh, you know putting it all on the wide receivers or the tight ends, they really have to be able to really give themselves better fighting chances when it comes to third down. And Kyle, the thing obviously looking at the way this team has played so far on the offensive side of the football, I think the biggest strength for this team has been the defense. And I think with the fact you without David Onyemata for the first six games, and then you lose somebody like a Marcus Davenport, who looked good in the first game until he got injured, which felt inevitable where he has a really good game, then gets hurt, and then he's out for several weeks. And now you're having to rely on a first-round draft pick like Peyton Turner what have you seen from this defense that's made you kind of look and say, hey, I'm pretty impressed, especially heading into a Giants game where Daniel Jones is going to be very much kind of hamstrung with the fact that he's going to be without two of his star wide receivers? I think the Giants are in trouble. Uh, the Saints defense is the key. They're the strongest point of the whole team. Malcolm Jenkins talked about it in his presser, as well as Marshawn Lattimore. He brought it up as well. But think about going back to last season and the season before last, the defense started to be able to gain more momentum, and they did very good against the run, but now they're doing very good against the pass. 
Uh, the addition of Paulson Adebo, the rookie, you can't get him off the field right now. Uh, I know they brought in Bradley Roby as well as uh, Trufant, but Adebo is staying. <laughs> he's keeping that job <laughs> right now opposite of Lattimore. So I, I think the defense and DeMario Davis is just playing like Batman out there. Don't you think, man? Look, yeah. he's flying around. He's doing. Uh, he's even defending passes. I was like, man, what all we seen in Demario Davis is just outstanding play. Uh, I know Cam Jordan doesn't have all of the stack totals that you love to see, but his consistency, his uh, constant pressure on the quarterback, and getting to make the quarterbacks uneasy is going to be duplicated in this game as well because Daniel Jones. He can't hold on to the football well. He also is very uh, susceptible to getting sacked. But the one thing about him is that you have to look out for his legs. He's very good in rushing the football. Matter of fact, he's the leading rusher for the team. So the Saints are going to have to really play really disciplined ball when it comes to uh, allowing him to leak out. But I love what I see in this Saints defense, and if they can keep it up, the defense may be holding serve for the team throughout the rest of the season. Talking right now with Kyle T. Mosley, Saints News Network, and SI. And while the defenses look good, I think the offensive line has been something that's a little bit more suspect with guys like Teron Armstead. And then you have uh, Eric McCoy there out for the foreseeable future on the Friday injury report. The illicit is out, did not practice at all this week. Seeing those mm-hmm. guys out probably hurts the offensive line a whole hell of a lot, and that's probably going to put some concern on Saints fans because Jameis Winston, according to the injury report last this week, had a knee injury. He was full practice, full go, but that's something that I think we probably are going to be monitoring and obviously be concerned about. Yeah, I think one of the Patriots came in low on uh, Jameis in that game. Uh, I, I was surprised they didn't get a flag on it. But Jameis, uh, I'm not too concerned about his knee. I think he's, he's going to be fine. I think when you look at Throckmorton, he's been performing well in that guard role. Uh, Hurst is going to fill in for Teron Armstead. I don't feel too much pressure in this game that things can't handle what's happening up front with the Giants. Uh, I, if the one key for the Saints is to just continue rushing the football. Now, if Coach Payton doesn't get impatient and he stays true to really keying on on uh, Alvin Kamara and those guys in the backfield being able to uh, pick up some first downs and gain some yardage on the ground and eating up the clock, I think the Saints are going to really come away with a decisive win against the Giants. But they also have to be able to protect the ball. And not saying that we're going to see another 100-yard game from Jameis Winston, God forbid, but I do believe that it's going to be more of a controlled and sustained, meaning drive is going to be necessary for the Saints to be able to win against the Giants on Sunday. And heading into this contest, I mean, the New York Giants, it feels like it's going to be a Saints win. I, I have, like, full disclosure – I picked them in a Survivor League I'm in, and I absolutely am like dreading that because again, we we always talk about it. Like one of the golden rules of fantasy is to never pick a player from your favorite team. 
because then you're going to wind up having a really horrible time and you don't want to go with your heart on a survivor league. I want you to kind of calm me down and make sure you can tell me that this was a really good idea to pick this contest between the giants and the saints and having the saints win to keep advancing in this survivor league. I'm in. Yeah, look, I, I think you're good. Clint. Uh, look, the saints are seven point favored by Vegas, but I only see the saints losing this game. Like they've lost games in years past. And I'm knocking on wood here, guys. Uh, I don't think the Saints are going to have a letdown in the dome coming that's coming up. I think when you look at why New Orleans will be able to win this game, they are a better team. And we have a better coaching staff as well. And with all the fans returning to the Superdome in over a year, being able to cheer for the team, route is on its way. I, I believe the Saints are going to really double those uh, points of Vegas, and but they have to do it by protecting the football, keeping the sustained drives going on, and making sure that they are able to convert on those third downs. And, and those are just my keys, and I'm going to keep on harping on those keys. So you can get down from the Crescent City connection, man. It's going to be good. You're going to be all right, Clint. That's what I was wanting to hear, Kyle. And looking at the team itself, it's like they're very much poised right now because you've got the game against New York that feels like a win, and then you have next week the Washington football team that always just has that, like, obviously we all still have that PTSD from the RG3 <laughs> debut from many moons ago, but this isn't yeah. that team. We don't You don't have that rookie quarterback that's going to go off. It feels like you have every chance to be 4-1 and one heading into the bye week, and then you have Monday night against the Seattle Seahawks. How big is that for this team to be 4-1 and one heading into the bye, potentially? It's huge, number one, because a lot of people that I have talked to and some of the national writers at the team at this point, one and two. Remember, they were supposed to lose to New England. They were supposed to lose to the Packers. The game everybody thought they would win was the Panthers. Look, the opposite world. We would call this a... Uh, uh, bizarro world really going on with the Saints early on in the season. Uh, but going 4-1 is going to be very crucial for the team. Uh, I think going up to Seattle is not going to be a difficult task like it used to be, uh, but it is going to be prime time, right? Uh, I do like the Saints' chances against the Washington football team because they – have been discombobulated on defense. That defense should have been the strength of their team, and they haven't been able to really get it together. So I like what the Saints are able to put down uh, on paper, but I also like what I see in the leadership from Jordan, Jenkins. Uh, you have the Mario. You have all those guys, even Kamara. Those guys are showing up and showing out when they need to. And I think, really, Saints fans, just be rest assured you're going to see the Saints continue to win in a different type of way than we've seen in the past 15 seasons under Drew Brees. And, Kyle, I got one more for you real quick. Is like So when it comes to Michael Thomas and Will Lutz, those two are very much kind of in that limbo, if you will. I think When do you expect mm -hmm. those two to be back? Well, look. From 
talking to John Hendricks and those guys, I think it may be safer to say after the bye, sometime you will see Michael Thomas. I'm not too sure about Lutz. I think we really need to see Lutz sooner than later, right? Uh, I'm not too confident in Rosas, and I, I don't want to be a negative mini when it comes to Rosas, but I think his confidence was kind of shaken uh, in that Patriots game. But if, if, we, if there's a person that we really need, it's going to be the big old David Amimata. And his return after that six-game suspension is just going to strengthen the, the, the Saints' defense. Now, Clint, I could be wrong about this. If the receivers do not show well this coming Sunday, the Saints may be in the market for a receiver. And uh, I'm just putting it out there that that's the possibility. I haven't heard any inside rumbling, so therefore don't, don't, uh, don't have Sean Payton call me on this. But uh, I, I like what they can do but they haven't been able to put it all together right now. And if that continues, the Saints are going to need some help. Kyle, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Hey, I appreciate your time. Thank you, and have a great weekend. Who that indeed. You can follow him on Twitter at KT Mose. That's M-O-Z-E. So we're going to take a quick timeout, wrap up the show, one final take. We'll go ahead and try and get that thing in as quickly as possible. And we're going to go ahead and take that timeout. Be back after this on 1037 the game. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 the game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it gonna be a hot one? Or is it gonna be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. I saw this pop up earlier in the week, and this may be a sign that I follow way too many people to see this pop up. But on the Mike Gundy radio show this past Monday, he talked about the 2011 team. It's been a decade. Come on now. Let it go. Is He talked about this team as once in every so often an opportunity, and he thought they could have beaten LSU because the fact they were scoring maybe 20, 20 points a game. They were scoring a lot more than that. And there's not anyone that could have kept us from scoring 25 or 30 points. And he just doesn't see it happening. In terms of the hypothetical world of him thinking that Oklahoma State could have beaten that 2011 LSU team that had the Honey Badger and so many more great defensive players. For the record, I said it on Twitter, and I think everybody kind of, a lot of people agreed. Some definitely disagreed. More Oklahoma State fanboys than anything. But there's not a doubt in my mind that. LSU would have beaten Oklahoma State and beaten them bad in 2011. That defense was way, and I mean way, too good to not kind of just open up a whole can of whoop-ass on them. But again, that's just my opinion. I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday. Don't forget we got LSU football right here on 103.7 The Game. Kickoff at 8 o'clock. Pre-game is going to be at 6, a full two hours. Chris Blair and crew are going to be taking you into that ball game. Make sure you listen to the action. Until next Saturday, I'll be back here from 10 a.m. to noon right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Peace! Hey, Clavis! Wake up! The show's on. Oh, yeah! Kick it!